then I think we'll just, we'll just move right on. Yeah, so I would invite David, who's already up, to come and read from the lectionary. I do want to say one quick thing before you read for us, David. So as part of the series that I'm doing every month, I, I want to have the full lectionary available because I just think it's, it's important for us to know the cycle that we're in. We don't always have to read it all, and he won't. And he's probably very grateful that he doesn't have to read this all. But if you want to refer to it, um, it's the yellow sheet in your, one of the inserts today. Thank you, David. So the passages we're reading today are from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31, and also from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. I mean, brothers and sisters... The appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And from the Gospel of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Holy wisdom, holy word. So do you remember when you were maybe five or six? Some of us do. And the best game in the world was to twirl around and around and around until you got so dizzy you fell down. (laughs) Simple pleasures. Well, Martine and I were um, in a hotel room in San Francisco because it was my niece, the weekend of my niece's wedding. And so the family was gathered and he, to his delight, he discovered that the chair in the hotel room was a spinner. And so he got on that chair, and he spun around and around. And after a minute or two, I realized, oh, it wasn't all that long ago that he had that really big ice cream soda. Um, I said to him, honey, maybe you shouldn't spin anymore right now. And he looked at me, and he said something like, (laughs) I adroitly flipped him over the chair onto the bed, grabbed a wastebasket, too late. <laughs> I, I gave the hotel staff a very large tip 
that day after doing everything, of course, that I could to clean up. But we love to spin. We love to spin, don't we? Um, in fact, we're made up of spinning parts. Uh, we live in a universe. We're made up of protons, electrons, coupons. Nope, maybe not coupons. Our universe is made up of planets, moons, galaxies, and we all revolve around a center of gravity. Um, the planets revolve around the sun. Our solar system revolves around the Milky Way. The Milky Way itself revolves. But at this point in scientific discourse anyway, you start to get lots of arguments about whether and how and why galaxies revolve, whether there is a center at all. Well, clearly there's a center. I mean, there's always a relative center. The arguments are about whether there is an absolute center anywhere. Well, for those of us in this room, that's obvious. Who or what is at the absolute center of our lives? Of course, God. Jesus Christ. So if God is at the center of our lives, why do we need to return to God? Well, we know the answer to that too, don't we? Because our lives are not static, and we're not holding still, and every day comes something new to throw us off center. A loss, a challenging relationship, an injury, an illness, a death. It's so easy to trust in God when we have our health, when our loved ones are happy, when our stomachs are full. And it's harder to hold on to that trust when we lose our job, when a relationship ends, when we encounter some of the really wicked things people do in this world. Uh, it doesn't even have to be something that earth-shaking, an argument, a fender-bender, any of the thousand little stressors of a given day can Turn us away from faith, away from trust, away from love, and away from God. So how do we return to God when our lives are off-center? Because if our lives are off-center, then so is our relationship to God. Uh, it's what Meister Eckhart, who's a 13th century mystic, said, meant when he said, when we return to God, God returns to us. It's the same thing. It's a mystery there. And, of course, every spiritual tradition offers methods to recenter our lives, our hearts on God. Uh, whirling dervishes literally spin, don't they? Not just to, return, to turn toward God, but to receive God. Uh, the Christian contemplative tradition uh, offers centering prayer. And it's a perfect term for it, isn't it? We, I love that it's called that when we center ourselves, we reaffirm God as the center of our lives. Um, and thanks to Sabrina, who's not here this service, but Sabrina and the librarians, we do have some books on display in the library on centering prayer. But I want you to listen for this idea of turning or returning to God as I review today's lectionary readings. And I will be doing that uh, for each of these in this series, each of these uh, messages in, the, in this 12-part series, starting with the lectionary finding a foundation of faith from there. Um, so listen to the idea of turning, but also listen for the element of time and how the people in these readings are experiencing time. So we first have the story of the people of Nineveh who turned from their evil ways after the prophet Jonah warned them of God's displeasure. 
And in the story, the people are given 40 days to repent, and that's a word we'll return to. Uh, We'll come back to that. 40 days, as we know, is a symbolic number in the Bible. We we hear it everywhere throughout the scriptures. 40 days in the desert. Um, uh, 40 days in the wilderness. Um, So it, it represents a time of seeking, of repentance, of renewal. It represents a spiritual sojourn back to God. So then in Psalm 62, we have a very different sense. Don't we? And that was our call to worship this morning of a solitary soul waiting for God. How different, right? First, we have a whole community. We have a sense that the whole community is in judgment and must return to God. Here we have one soul completely devout, trusting. I, I alone wait for God alone. I depend on no one but God In God I put my whole trust. The things of the world are not what matter. They don't last. Low estate, high estate, it's all momentary next to the power of God. So the element of time here is really unknown and paradoxical. I don't know when God will come. I'm waiting. And yet while I wait, I trust completely that God will indeed come. Fast forward about six centuries, and we can hear an uncanny echo in what Paul says to the community at Corinth. For those who mourn, let it be as if you're not. If you are rejoicing, let it be as if you aren't. And why? Why? Because the time has grown short, and the present form of the world is passing away. Uh, Here's the significant difference in those two passages The people of Paul's time believed that at any moment, God's time might break through. The eschaton, the end times, might come. The Messiah might return. And so they're waiting, not like the soul in the psalm, wistfully, but with trust. They're waiting expectantly with their whole being for the Messiah. And there's a difference, too. In in Paul's time, it's not the people returning to God, but the Messiah returning to the people. And yet it's the same thing. When God returns to us, we are restored to God. When Jesus comes, he will restore our relationship with God and return our soul to us. Then in the final lectionary reading from the Gospel of Mark, we hear Jesus himself proclaiming, yes, the time is fulfilled. In this passage, as Jesus begins his ministry, the time is now. And God is here. And he tells us, what does he tell us? He tells us to repent. Now I want to spend a little time with that word. Um, Those of you who know me will be very grateful to know that I cut the original six pages I had on the translation from the Hebrew to the Greek and epistropho versus metanoia. That's okay. But we can spend a little bit of time, I think, with the Hebrew. Um, After all, it's the... It's the language that Jesus studied when he learned sacred texts growing up. So so the word that's most commonly translated as repent in the Hebrew text is teshuvah. Not sure I'm really pronouncing that right. It's kind of hard. Is it up there? It's coming? Okay, but there's... Okay, 
You know what? I think I didn't mark this right. I think I left a slide out. I'm sorry. Can you, tr- can you go one more slide? Yeah, that was it. Ah, my fault. Go back up. No, go down. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. So, this, so, so in, in the Hebrew language, every word has a three-letter root. Uh, and, and the root for teshuvah is shuv. And it literally means to turn or also to return. So isn't that a wonderful sense of movement? Uh, kind of describes our dance of faith with God. Um, and this root, shuv, is used more than a thousand times in the Hebrew scriptures. That's many, many more times than any other single root. And therefore, it's translated many different ways because of the changing context in the script, in the text. Um, it's translated as conversion, as change in heart, as repentance, as penitence. In Psalm 23, and this is one of my favorite discoveries as I was studying for this message, the root of the word, he restores my soul, is shuv. Shuv. He returns. He returns. We can also say, uh, when we return to God, we will be restored. All of those meanings in there, in that, in that word teshuvah. So what did Jesus mean when he urged people to repent? When he, he may have actually used that word. I mean, he spoke Aramaic, but um, probably, that's almost certain, but he knew Hebrew. Uh, John the Baptist also called people to repent. To Teshuvah. But our picture of John is certainly different than our picture of Jesus, isn't it? This kind of this crazy man in the desert, you know, shaking his fist. You brood of vipers, calling people names. Certainly not my picture of Jesus. Um, yet they both used this, this word. They both urged people to repent. But isn't, don't we all, all often think of repentance as the John version, um, that it's only about turning away from sin, and that if you don't, the fires of hell, you know, will burn you up and so forth. Isn't that sometimes what we bring to mind when we think about repentance? I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Uh, I like this quote from Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, one of the most loved rabbis of the 20th century. He says, <clears throat> Oh, yeah, that's the one. I'm sorry for my marking. He says, the world is mistaken when it thinks that teshuvah or repentance is only for sin. True teshuvah is from the expression in Ecclesiastes of, and the spirit shall return to God. Teshuvah is a thirsty soul's longing to connect to its source. With this in mind, Teshuvah becomes an exciting and joyous experience rather than one just of bitterness and remorse because there's nothing more gratifying than returning to your true self, to your source. But there's another sense, another aspect of Teshuvah, that, and that is renewal. That is renewal. It describes a kind of reawakening that happens when we return to our source. It's so easy in this world to become soul-tired, I think, isn't it? To lose our sense of purpose, uh, to be 
beaten down by the myriad responsibilities and media and everything blaring at us to lose our sense of hope, of possibility, of potential. Why do we need to return to God? Because only God renews. Only God renews. It's what Reverend Edward Wimberly, a Methodist minister, author, pastoral counselor, and a really wonderful human being, he wrote about in a book recalling our own stories, spiritual renewal for religious caregivers. And he talks about the call that a minister responds to, but I would say we're all responding, or at least trying uh, to respond, like Nineveh, like the person in the psalm, like Paul and his community, we're all at least trying to respond to God's call in our lives. And that's why we're here, isn't it? So Wimberly says this, God provides the call, the power to fulfill the call, and the historic meaning for the call. What people who are called then have done historically is to orient themselves and their personality, their relationships, and their ministry in terms of the call from God. Spiritual renewal is a reorientation process of allowing the original call and its ongoing nature to continually transform our lives in the present. I just want to spend a minute with that. That's, there's, it's very full. The call is ongoing. To renew ourselves, we just need to re- reorient ourselves to it. From Nineveh to now, God's people have responded to God's call. A reorientation, a renewal, that's Teshuvah. Turning, returning, and spinning back to center, recentering our lives around God. I'll just wrap with this story. A father was coming home from work one day and found his son crying. So he said, you know, why are you crying? And his son said, because I was playing hide and seek. The father was a little confused. He said, well, but why did that make you sad? (laughs) Because I was hiding, but nobody was seeking. (laughs) I'm very in touch with my inner five-year-old. But how often do we do just that? We hide in our loneliness, in our selfishness, in our solitary pain, our sadness. We forget or we don't believe that God is always seeking after us. It's we who are hiding, or as Meister Eckhart puts it, God is at home. It's we who've gone out for a walk. We hide or turn away from God for so many reasons, a guilty conscience, something we're avoiding or hiding from ourselves, part of ourself we don't want to face, a hurt, an anger, a loss, a loneliness, when all we have to do is turn toward God, step out of our hiding place to be embraced by the love, the complete acceptance, and the joyful reunion of God's self to ourself. Isn't that what Jesus calls us to do? That's teshuva. Not just turning toward Jesus, but allowing ourselves to feel Jesus turning toward us. To believe in him and to believe in his renewing power in the middle, in that miraculous place where our soul 
meets the heart of God, that's where we find the fruit of teshuvah. Will you pray with me? Renew me, Jesus. Renew me and surprise me. Because I know if I ask for something, it it might not be what God wants for me. God is so far beyond my grasp that I could never imagine everything God has in mind. God renewed you even from death, and therefore I know your renewing action is happening inside me each and every day. So renew me, Jesus. Renew all of us and help us open ourselves to you. Amen.